0: a college professor turned globe-trotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 127th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, Sharing Knowledge So People Can Thrive. Today, I'm joined by Jerry Pannone. He is the author of Survive, Why We Do What We Do. The publisher is Psyche Books, which is an imprint of John Hunt Publishing. Jerry's had a long career in music as a musician, a composer, as well as an educator teaching music in the San Francisco Bay Area. At the Ruth Asawa School of the Arts High School, he has taught music as well as ethics and critical thinking. Welcome to the show, Jerry.
0: Thank you, Dan. Appreciate being here.
1: Absolutely. so uh, let's plunge in what's the uh, kind of the thumbnail sketch overview of the book if you will
0: um, yeah uh, Dan I guess it was 30 40 years ago I came across a statement um, which on its face doesn't seem very important or, or obvious but it, it one of those you know memories that stick in the back of your mind and it was basically um, uh, the uh, idea for all living organisms or the um, central focus is survival, just to survive. And I don't know why it stuck with me. It seems so obvious. Why should that be? Uh, This is a prime directive. Um, But it stayed with me. And then I, uh, after reading a lot of books in psychology and why we do what we do, um, I thought about that phrase again. And uh, I came across uh, Abraham Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And I realized that the physiological survival was um, obvious and basic. But as we go up his hierarchy through uh, self-esteem, love and belonging, uh, aesthetics, uh, knowledge, and then uh, self-actualization, and the last one in his expanded needs was uh, transcendence, I realized that people don't get, in in, uh, a, a very obvious way, uh, bent out of shape you might say because uh uh they're they're not uh eating enough that's so basic we don't even talk about it uh, there's that phrase that uh you know to a starving man god is food and um uh, so uh, that we know but we get depressed over things like uh self esteem we're not being appreciated um uh, the loving belonging again we don't we're lonely uh, and as we go up through these needs, uh, they become survival needs. That's what we're focused on more than anything else. And so it, um, it just came to me that this concept of survival expands way beyond those basic physiological needs. And and focusing on those higher needs is what we're doing after we've met those those lower survival needs.
1: Sure. Although Paul Simon, the uh, songwriter and musician, of course, said uh, food is the bottom line for everyone. Um, That's right. So we do we do need to take care of the basics first. Um, so I'm a little bit interested if we can delve more into Maslow because, of course, we're talking about motivations. And I love that because if you go back to Latin, the word motivation and emotion have the same root word, which is movere, right? to move, to make something happen. So those those needs, those motivations really do drive survival instincts and and uh higher callings that we might have. So if we go back into to Maslow a bit, um, you know, he he did several versions of this. And I'm not sure how much of a scholar you are on Maslow, but from 43 to 62 to even until 87, he kept tinkering with this. And as you said, there are actually now in the expanded version eight uh needs. And four of them are, you know, kind of the the deficiency needs around food, et cetera. But then there is the emphasis on growth, and that's really what he added on to the picture. Do you know anything or do you have your own instincts as to why he made that move to expand on growth or as a teacher why you've you've seen the growth elements of these motivations to well, be so important?
0: Yeah, I think it was the late 60s, 70s he added those expanded needs. It was cognitive needs, aesthetic needs and he had self-actualization then he added transcendence i think he himself was experiencing the limitation of those original five um that as we age of course our our um uh interests change a bit and we find what's more important i i guess in life um what's that phrase uh the man on his deathbed uh, never felt he should spend more time at the office. And I think, you know, uh, at at this point in my life, I'm seeing kind of the same thing, that um, there's a lot of small talk I don't want to engage in any longer. Uh, The sand in the hourglass is far less than it used to be. And so feeling what's important in life, uh, comes into closer focus. And I think that growth that Maslow was, was uh, pointing to uh, has to do with that evolution, a personal evolution that uh, we recognize we can't change the whole world, but we can change ourselves. And so that process becomes more important, again, as we age. And he, he saw that in himself as, as well as, uh, as in others.
1: Okay. Well, I was going to ask a question regarding uh, the eight uh, expanded needs that Maslow put together, which ones are maybe most pertinent in the categories of of one's love life, including family, work, and self-development. But maybe we should be rephrasing the question based on what you just said. So you're you're saying, in other words, as you look at different stages of life, uh, these needs may may really pop into the foreground some more than others. Is, is that how you you've kind of come to see it? I,
0: yes, I, I I mean I look at my own career and that of others, and you know as we um, as we uh, move through our lives, we you know we want stability stability also we want self esteem for what we do after we've acquired that you know can have a position in life and i recognized that in kind of full force when i retired um Before I was Mr. Pannon, I headed a you know uh, a great high school orchestra It was recognized. we won lots of awards. I got pats on the head for doing all this and and um, it all felt good. Well, when I retired, I became mr. nobody and uh, that's a shock to the system in uh, in many ways, and perhaps why uh, men die off before women because they wrap their identity in what they do instead of who they are. And they confuse that who they are with what they do. So I think, you know, as we move from one stage of our lives to to another, um, this comes into focus for us. Uh, because if we uh, for example, retire as I did, and find nothing on the other side of retirement other than thinking about our past well it it tends to be a pretty empty life, and so I think those higher needs became more important to Maslow because he recognized you know identity um is a big part of our life, so the survival part becomes like, well, who needs to survive? Who is that me that needs to survive if all those props that kept us up and moving disappear. And so a dive into who am I? That question uh, becomes much more important and and immediate.
1: Okay. Well, it makes sense for one thing. Of course, uh, Maslow himself was aging. Mm -hmm. So um, how he looked at things would have changed as well. Um, You may know that there was a survey done, a very extensive 163 country survey done by two academics, Tay and Diener in 2011, Going back to Maslow's hierarchy, because, of course, one of the critiques was that, at least when he originally devised it, uh, Maslow had a pretty small uh, set of people that he was kind of modeling it on, and they were all quite distinguished people, you know, right. from uh, right. Einstein and William James and Beethoven to Eleanor right. Roosevelt, for instance. So they, these two academics tried to throw it a lot broader, and based on their results, what they came back with – and I'd be interested if you had any perspective on this just before we wrap up on Maslow – they said that the, the keys to everyday satisfaction based on the survey results was love and respect. And then on the other hand, in terms of deficiencies, the things that got you most in the problem was, again, actually lack of respect. So respect really stands out. And then freedom and nourishment, which we cited earlier. But I'm struck by the fact that respect shows up twice yeah. as a key to satisfaction and a problem if it's not there. Uh you know, just to uh, bring in Aretha Franklin and another musician. Uh, what is it about respect that's so important? Would you would you say?
0: Um, I I think more than anything else, it's a recognition that you've accomplished something as a human being that um, is important to you, and it's it's like um, the old uh, Mozart movie Amadeus, uh, where Salieri is. Uh, 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 presenting an opera to the emperor, and uh, the emperor basically says to him, uh, "Well, you're the brightest light in the you know pantheon of musicians." And Salieri knows Mozart's in the uh, audience, and he rec- recognizes Mozart as the greatest musician. So he's looking around for Mozart to get some um, you might say respect from Mozart. Oh. And
1: affirmation, yeah, affirmation,
0: yeah. better word. Thank you. Um, and when it comes to our own fields, who we want respect from are the folks who know what we're doing. So I used to tell my kids in, in school, well, it's great. You know, when we play a concert, your parents come, they applaud and, you know, they love you no matter what you do. Um, uh, but if you get it from a musician, if you, uh, have that, uh, Uh, appreciation from a musician, that means far more because they actually know what you're doing. And I think that's true in any field, whether you're an engineer, a doctor, uh, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you get respect from those folks who actually know what you're doing, then you feel good about it because you feel you've uh, worked hard at, at this particular thing and you would like some appreciation. Uh, but the appreciation is most valued when those folks who actually know what you're doing, give it to you.
1: Okay. So respect from those you respect, yeah, in other words. exactly. So that sounds kind of like it's frankly what, on the, uh, what we do and career side. So is it also important, would you say, that respect is a reflection of your value, your your personhood, your your unique character? qualities, for instance?
0: I I think that's very true. I think that's a step along the way, that idea of um, who you are, you're respected for that. I mean, if you go all the way down the line to Buddhism, for example, that sense of no self is the opposite direction, right? I mean, they're working very hard to become a nobody in that way. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. you, uh, what's that joke, you know, uh, the Dalai Lama goes into the pizza shop and they ask what he wants and he said, well, make me one with everything, you know, and there's the idea that before you can achieve that oneness with everything, uh, you have to empty yourself of the stuff you've accumulated. And that would mostly be ego, I think, identification with all those things we do so we're spending all this time kind of accumulating things like self-esteem and um appreciation from others and then at the end that transcendence to me that maslow's talking about is that we have to let go of all that to really identify with existence And that's tough. That's a tough one. And I think that's why Kohlberg and uh, Lovinger, when they look at ego uh, development theory, uh, they find very, very few people who ever achieve that uh, level because we spend our whole lives accumulating stuff, kind of like George Carlin's jokes about, you know, accumulation of stuff and um, identity and uh, his self-esteem and all those things that, Uh, We're told all along the road are very important. They're temporarily important. But in that level of transcendence, transcendence, they no longer are important. But that's a hard one to get to. It's a very hard one. Yeah,
1: yeah, and not not everyone, of course, would would get there. So we're kind of at the halfway point. I wanted to move on to some other things in the book because there's some some provocative, interesting comments you make, and uh, I wanted to bring them up for listeners and let you uh, elaborate on them a bit. Sure. So at one point, you you say that greed and bullying are quite similar. Uh, that's intriguing. I'd never put those two together necessarily. Um, can, can you can uh, you offer a little more reflection on, on what that's about?
0: Yeah, I think um, uh, I got this basically from Robert Sapolsky's book "Behave," which is you know a 700-page tome that um, is a re- <laughs> remarkable book. I mean, he gets into things in such specificity that uh, um, it, it astounds me sometimes. But the the greed. Um, is also a sense of greed for wanting more. And the bully also wants more. He, you might say he wants respect. Um, and we have a sense of wanting more. And for the bully, it might be because he's been bullied by his parents or others. And uh, you know that old saw that uh, what's done to you, you do to others is, is uh, a bright light in his eyes. And that, again, is this sense of identity. Um, because greed is not just for money or or fame, it's for position and power. And if it's a power game, then uh, uh, the desire for power uh, parallels that bullying instinct, which gives you power. Uh, You know, after money, we want power. Maybe that's why so many uh, politicians go in when they've uh, achieved a lot, and then they want to Have power after they've gained a great deal of money. I don't know. It's a you know uh, maybe no, but
1: it is notable. There's a lot of very rich people in the U.S. Senate, for instance. Yeah,
0: right, exactly.
1: So uh, another thing you you bring up in the book, and 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 I thank you for that last answer. Um, This is just kind of a fun one. So women's brains typically are mature by their twenties, but uh, men it's a bit later, late twenties, maybe even beyond that, just possibly. So you mentioned that when it comes to things like insurance, uh, we might want to look at, and, and the law, we might want to look at things a bit differently if we take that seminal fact into account. Uh, can you maybe expand on that just a bit? Um,
0: yeah, I think we're we're lagging behind when it comes to concepts of uh, punishment, for example. Uh, years and years ago, uh, you know, the, the punishment for a child for being a pickpocket in England was severe. Um, but today we recognize there's a period of adolescence when people don't think about moral values as much. And um, uh, in, in our current situation, people wonder, well, you know, well, why are young men so prone to violent crime and thrill-seeking? Because they're similar in that way. So we we see thrill-seekers as, um, you know, uh, people who need that physiological um, thrill to make them feel alive uh, and um uh, we see also that parallels the um uh slower development of the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive part of the brain that's modifying our amygdala, which wants those thrills and uh is is uh challenged. Uh, to do more in terms of emotional or emotional selves. I mean, that's... Yeah, it,
1: maybe the, the, the brakes on the proverbial car, yeah.
0: Yeah, ex- exactly. And the other authors besides Sapolsky explored that. Uh, um, uh, it was Kahneman, Daniel Kahneman, and Haight, sure. and, uh, and some others. And I think what Sapolsky did, I feel, was put scientific meat on the bones of these other psychologists, where he went into, you know, how it affects the synapses in our brain, how the, chemi- the chemistry of the whole thing. And um, uh, I think, well, it goes back to Schopenhauer, I believe, the, the idea of the uh, elephant in the rider, the the elephant mm-hmm. being our emotional selves, the rider kind of being the prefrontal cortex that modifies those those desires. Um, but at any rate, uh, you know, the fact that young men are, uh, are uh, attracted to risk is, is no mystery. Also why uh, armies love young soldiers. Um, they'll charge the machine gun nest thinking they're John Wayne. Um, that certainly was the case when I was in the military. The, the older fellows would sit back and say, well, yeah, you guys go be a hero, uh, <laughs> which, um, you know, uh, was uh, not the best thing for the young men.
1: Yeah, I would, I would think not. I, I guess, as you say that, I'm thinking of the convicts who've been recruited into the Wagner group, yeah. fighting for the Russians, and uh, exactly. Apparently, a lot of them have been mowed down recently. But I guess that was preferable to staying in prison. Yeah, maybe or maybe they maybe they were coerced. We're not quite sure. Yeah, um, before. Before we run out of time, there was one other comment I wanted to come to that I thought really was important in this era of social media and everyone being fragmented into different groups uh, because we do feed on our own belief of self and what what reinforces our notions. And you make the comment regarding propaganda and information and communication in general that disbelief takes extra cognitive work. Uh, That seems really important to me. Um, Why is it important to you? Why did you make the
0: statement? I I think, well, in in the present age, right, we we sometimes can't understand why why people vote the way they vote with so many facts being out there. But I forgot who wrote the book, Facts Don't Matter, um, because it's really about feeling. Uh, And if propaganda, whether it's political propaganda or any other type, uh, reinforces that early belief system that you have that you may have adopted because of the um, kind of attitude of a, a political figure or not, um, you end up pulling in cognizant, cognizant dissonance when you get criticized about it and you end up uh, hanging on to those beliefs, uh, even though the facts uh, prove otherwise. You're not willing to to see those facts because of your sense of identity with that particular person or belief system, we saw it with the Nazis, with Communists, and and even on the far end in capitalism. Right? We we think it's okay to do certain things because we have this um, uh, belief that we did it, that we alone made all this money, or we alone did this particular thing, ignoring all the props and supports that we've had along the way. So I, I you know I just feel like. It's, again, going back to the idea that um, the personal ego, the sense of I, uh, blinds us to the obvious. And and we simply aren't willing to admit that, no, we didn't do it all alone.
1: Yeah, no, I I admit that I've often said to friends if I was to uh, form a a cutting-edge alternative rock band, I'd probably name it Cognitive Dissonance. (laughs) because it just strikes me it's so important the way we we don't want to take a hard look at our ourselves and, and the facts that we've cherished or, or bought into because uh, it's hard work, but it's, it's valuable work. And I think it's what, you know, yeah. educators uh, need to do and do do. So um, the, on that, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up here. I want to thank you, Jerry, very much for being my guest. This has been episode 127 of Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, I couldn't resist one from Carl Sagan, the scientist who said, extinction is the rule, survival is the exception. Until next time, take care and be well.